Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. Imagine for a moment I gave you the following facts in January of this year. First, a worldwide pandemic would break out. As a result of this, all major economies would go into shutdown and unemployment would skyrocket to levels never before seen in our lifetimes. Consumer businesses like restaurants, airlines, shopping malls, and many others would see demand and revenues fall off a cliff. If I gave you those facts then, it would seem obvious the markets would fall dramatically. And they did, but it was very short-lived, largely a result of historic government intervention and stimulus. In this episode, Jack and I discuss the dangers of thinking things are too obvious in the market and how investors can avoid making mistakes when things seem all but certain. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right. We're going to talk today about an article you wrote uh, about a month ago. And in it, what you were doing was talking about the dangers of the obvious. Or I think, to say it another way, you were talking about times in the market where you may think there really should be one outcome and the outcome looks, what actually happens looks nothing like that. And so the market has a way of fooling a lot of us. A lot of people have very strong beliefs one way or another, maybe stocks are going up, stocks are going down, this industry should do well, value stocks are gonna come back, whatever it might be. And those things I think can seem very obvious to us as individual investors. But like you said in the article, you kind of have to respect the collective wisdom of the market and the market can actually react very differently than what might seem obvious on the surface. Right, you know, this is probably when I've gotten in the most trouble in my career. When, whenever I think there's just an, a completely obvious outcome in the market, you know, and, and you alluded to this, if you think about what makes the market, you've got an incredible amount of smart people deploying capital. You've got high-powered computers making split-second decisions all day. If you think about all of that coming together, I mean, think about the smartest people you know who are investors. Think about all of that coming together to set a market price. And then think about what, how is it possible that I could think something that's obvious that's not reflected in that market price. And so this is something that's gotten me in the most trouble, and it's, it's something that I, I've worked on, but I still do it. And I think we all still do it. We all still think at times, oh, this is a completely obvious outcome. This is obviously going to happen. And then it can be worse because sometimes that outcome actually does happen and it makes us overconfident. But the reality is if you take a step back and think about the market as a whole, it's very unlikely that I can come up with an outcome that's so obvious that the market's missing. And in your article, I thought it was a really good example. You said, you know, what if I, you know, let's rewind the clock to the beginning of the year. And then what if I gave you the series of facts that we know were true when the pandemic sort of hit and the economy shut down? You know, what would seem like would be obvious? And it, I guess it happened for a short period of time. The market basically collapsed. It was the, the fastest 30% decline ever in history. But the, you know, the bounce back and the recovery has also been historic. And so I think you were kind of using that example to say, you know, well, okay, it seemed obvious in the market. It kind of did. But actually you were you know very wrong in terms of how the market actually not saying you were very wrong but the obvious outcome wasn't the one that actually really ended up happening ultimately 
Right. So here's the conditions I wrote in the article. A pandemic came out of nowhere to lead to extended periods where most of the country was required to stay home. Economic activity fell dramatically and unemployment reached levels not seen since the Great Depression. And businesses that require consumers to leave their houses like restaurants and airlines and cruise lines were decimated with many losing most of their revenue. So if, you, if I gave you that in advance, what would you do with your portfolio? You know, you, you might short the market, you know, you, you might do, you might buy volatility. I mean, you might do a bunch of different things that, you know, would you think would do well in a market like that, in a market that you expect to be down a lot. But the reality is, although the market was down for a short period, now looking, you know, just months later, most of the things you would have thought would have been the right moves have proved to not be the right moves. And, and that's the hardest thing about investing is, you know, even if I gave, you know, even if I gave you all those facts in advance, and you knew everything about the economy, you knew everything, you still probably would have gotten it wrong. And the reason you would have gotten it wrong is because another variable came in that many people weren't expecting, which is the government stimulus. And so that one fact being missing would, led to, would have led to the wrong decision. And so th that's what I was trying to get across in the article is basically even knowing everything we know now, you probably still would have made the wrong decision. So as much as that decision seemed obvious, given the facts, it wasn't really obvious. Well, and let's even say you could have took yourself from the past and put yourself in the future and said, given those conditions you just outlined, and also the Federal Reserve is going to come in with a huge you know, amount of, of support for the market and the government's going to put two to three trillion dollars, even still knowing that, let's say you knew it in advance, I don't think most people would, <laughs> would think the market would be back to where it is. So it's just, you know, sometimes the market can do, can just react and behave very differently than, you know, a lot of people think it can. Yeah. And even, even what you would buy in that scenario, a lot of people would have gotten wrong, you know, because what you ended up having to buy here were the most explosively growing technology companies. I mean, that, that ended up being the right trade here. And so you would think those companies being riskier, if, if I think the market's going down, I probably don't want to buy those companies. But in reality, those were the exact companies to buy because they benefited the most from the whole stay at home thing. So the point being, it was just, you know, nothing was obvious about this. Obviously not even knowing about the pandemic, nothing was obvious. But even once we knew about the pandemic, nothing was obvious. And even today, you know, a lot of people think today the market's in for a major crash and that all of this is going to catch up to us. But, and that may very well be what happens, but it's not obvious that's going to happen because again, tons of people are coming together in the market right now, tons of very smart people to come up with a market clearing price. And so it's not obvious that we're going to, you know, headway up from here. It's also not obvious we're going to headway down from here. Nothing is obvious and we'll find out in the future based on how things, how things play out. One of the narratives that's been, and I kind of feel like this has kind of been going on for a while, but you know, there's been maybe more of it now where because the yields are where they are, is like the 60-40 portfolio, at least the bond portion, you know, is is kind of going to be uh, dead in the water going forward just because yields are so low. And I mean, listen, yields came from 1980 to where we are now. Um, it's been, what what is it? Is that a 40-year? Uh, yeah, 40-year bull, bull market and bonds. So, um, you know, and a lot of people have been calling the end to that, but I think you were trying to, that seems like the obvious uh, answer, I guess, but it might not be so obvious. So do you want to kind of flush out what you're trying to get at there? Yeah, this is another example of me myself being fooled. I mean, I, I think, 
you probably you know should allocate less to bonds right now. If you think about the two reasons you have bonds, one is to produce yield in your portfolio, and the other is to deal with deflationary crises. Well, at this point, what kind of yield are you producing? Something less than one percent. How much room do you have to go down? You know, assuming we're not going to get to negative yields, and we won't get into that argument here, but how much room do you have to go down into deflationary crisis? Not that much. So you could argue, all right, there's no reason to have bonds right now. But then the other way to look at it is. Well, what else am I going to have? You know, if, if I'm not going to have bonds, what am I going to put in there to replace bonds? Am I going to buy gold? I mean, the gold's for inflationary shocks, not for deflationary shocks. You know, what, even if bonds are not going to produce a huge price increase if the market goes down, and even if bonds are going to produce a low yield, what else is there out there that can substitute for bonds? And when you look at it, there, there's not that much. And so even if bonds won't do what they've done as well as they have in the past, bonds still will probably do it to some extent. You know, there was a great quote from Morgan Housel when he was doing some of the interviews for his new book, and he talked about how the role of bonds in his portfolio is, is one, basically, it's to prevent him from selling his stocks. And I think that's a great way to look at bonds is you want to, for your stocks to do what they're going to do over the long term, you have to never sell them. And the only way for you to never sell them is to have, for some people at least, is to have that risk-reducing component, the money you know you can draw from when things are going bad for stocks. And so if you look at it from that perspective, you really would never sell your bonds because if, if they're going to keep you from selling your stocks, that behavioral cost is not there. And so as much as it seems obvious maybe that you shouldn't be investing in bonds right now, there actually are some pretty strong arguments that you should. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think with all of this, you know, somebody might be listening to us and and sort of thinking we're trying to like toggle both sides of the argument or the line. And that's not really the case. I, I think, you know, obviously when you're investing, you have to make a stand, you have to make a decision as to how your portfolio is being managed or what asset classes you're in. Um, and, you know, that is largely for investors, uh, a result of what they believe is going to happen. And a lot of what they believe is going to happen, it seems obvious to them. In some cases, they'll be right. In some cases, they'll be wrong. Um, and it, just because you're wrong, it doesn't mean that you should just throw your strategy out the window and, and do something completely different just because it hasn't worked, let's say, or you made a bad investment or something like that. I think well, we're just trying to, you know, sort of have this discussion around the market can a lot of times do completely opposite what you think it's going to do. And you have to respect that, but you also have to get up and live another day and you have to be there for, you know, the, 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 the market in the long run. And if you're a patient, long-term disciplined investor, then, you know, these times where something seems obvious, it didn't work out, that shouldn't derail you hopefully from hitting your long-term goals and, you know, managing your portfolio um, and strategy over time. Where it really becomes dangerous is when you think something's obvious that's way different than what the consensus is. So going back to the coronavirus example, you know, if I think the stock market's going to plunge and I take my portfolio and I really position it for a stock market plunge, and then I don't get that stock market plunge, I'm going to pay a huge price. Or, you know, we're big believers in value, but if you go all in on value, if you take your entire portfolio right now and you dump the entire thing in value and you're wrong about that, you're going to pay a huge price. And so part of this is when you think things are obvious, maybe a tilt towards what you think is obvious is more appropriate than a massive move towards what you think is obvious because of what we talked about before, because the market is pretty smart and it's hard for any of us to be smarter than the market. And that's a great point. I mean, if you were an investor and you basically raise cash significantly in March, you've potentially missed one of the greatest, you know, six month periods ever in the market. 
And this is one of those instances where you hear the statistics, you know, if you were out of the market in the best 10 performing days or the best month or whatever, but this is really one of those times. Now it assumes that we don't fall back. I mean, listen, we could easily, you know, do another shot. I mean, things could, things could go back. I mean, we're not trying to, you know, have predict that or anything like that, but it just is a good example to your point about, you know, if something seems obvious, you don't want to be maybe pushing all your chips in because if you get it wrong, you're going to get totally smoked and that can have a major impact on your long-term investment results. That's right. And then another big point here is, and this, this is true of all of us is it's really important to find people who believe the opposite of you and, and to read, read their views or look, watch them on video or whatever it is and try to understand what it is they're saying and try to understand how that can put holes in your argument. Because when you do that, you tend to, make less of these major moves towards, all right, I think this is obvious and the market's got it all wrong. So I'm going to make this major move. You know, if I'm paying attention to the other side of this, you know, if I think the market's going to plunge right now, but if I follow people and read people who know what they're talking about, who I respect, who think, all right, you know, maybe that's not the case. Maybe the government's going to throw so much stimulus in here that the market's going to have time to recover until we have a vaccine. And maybe that big decline I think is coming is never going to come. The more I can, you know, read and listen to people who have those opposite opinions, the less likely I am to think something is obvious, you know, that maybe is not. Yeah, and sometimes even it's understanding, um, you know, the why behind the market did something. So I think it reminds me of the recent um, article, it's more than an article, it's like a, a mini book, if you will, but uh, from Jesse Livermore on um, O'Shaughnessy Asset Management's website, and then Patrick O'Shaughnessy actually interviewed him. This concept of upside down markets, where you know what's bad for the economy actually ends up being good for the market due to monetary and fiscal stimulus. And so he was able to you know frame up sort of that idea and show through a very detailed and robust analysis as to why you know bad economy might equal good for the stock market. And so I think also taking a step back and trying to learn and understand why the market did something so you're more educated next time is also something that's valuable for a lot of investors. That's a great example of it because it's hard for any of us to get our arms wrapped around the fact that the worse the economic news gets, the better the stock market's going to do. And you know, in that paper, he showed that. And in the way he showed that is because typically there's always been a little bit of an element of that because when you get bad economic news, the Fed might cut rates and the market you know, may you know, go up on the fact that the Fed might cut rates. But in terms of the balance between the two, fiscal policy is a much stronger thing than monetary policy. And now when we get bad economic news, not only do we have monetary policy kicking in, we have fiscal policy kicking in as well. And so that's an example of how we, it seems pretty obvious to say, all right, we get this bad economic news, it's, it's bad for the market, especially at the level of bad economic news we've gotten right now. But with the, the government's willingness to use fiscal policy as strongly as they can, it's not really bad news. It actually could be good news. And that, that's an example where many investors would think something's obvious, but the opposite is actually true. So that's a really good point. All right. Well, we'll actually put a link to um, that article on O'Shaughnessy's site in the show notes. And I think, you know, just, I guess in, in summary, and Jack, you can um, wrap it up here if you have anything else to say, but I, I think, you know, anytime something seems so super obvious in the market, you might just want to take a step back understand that there's a good chance that the outcome isn't going to be what you think, and then also look to find opinions and ideas that might be at somewhat disagreement with you because knowing and understanding the other side uh, is certainly important. Yeah. And for me, the, the further I am outside of the consensus, 
the more that's important, the more I really need to look to the other side, the more I really need to find people who disagree with me. Because again, if, if we think the market consensus is pretty good, if I'm way outside of that, I have to have incredibly strong conviction. And so before I can have that incredibly strong conviction, I need to look at the other side and make sure you know, that, that what I think is actually true. And so I, I think that's a good way to look at it is you know, the, the more you are outside of the norm, probably the more you need to question yourself. But no matter what, if you think something's obvious and the market doesn't, you need to have really strong reasons to believe that to be true. Great. Well, guys, thank you guys for listening. We uh, hope you enjoyed the discussion. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi, guys. This is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at PracticalQuant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.